What's up everybody? Dan, Binder Boneyard, coming at you from the office. Beautiful July day. It is hot. Um, sorry I missed you last week. It was 4th of July weekend and uh, we were out of town doing some of my favorite things, which was checking out some old buildings, went to a couple estate sales where I picked up some cool old junk, uh, and went to the rodeo in Malala for the old Malala buckaroo. That was something that I did a lot when I was a kid and uh, haven't been back for several, several years. And so it was, it was fun to go take Josie, show her the old stomping grounds because Josie's from Central Oregon. So just driving around here and doing stuff, this is, this is her home. So, you know, I don't, you know, we don't visit stuff that because it's here, you know, this is Christmas and Thanksgiving. We go to the same places that you know, she's been going to for her whole entire life. So for us to go to Malala, um, that's kind of a different thing, you know, like, so I drive around and show her various places where I, you know, got into trouble or where old barns were, or what stuff was, you know, some of the old haunts, there's an old cemetery that, uh, trying to figure out how to sneak back into, um, you know, things like that. But, uh, Anyway, the holiday was good. Had a good time with that. Um, so, so yeah, sorry I did not get an episode burned out there. But, uh, yeah, so I appreciate everybody listening. I uh, do get a lot of feedback and comments from people. And it's always amazing how many people do actually listen, um, you know. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and so we're just going to jump right in today with we're going to talk about axles and there's a lot of confusion around axles sizing and you know what you have and what's what so um we're gonna start off with the smallest and go up to the biggest that you could get in an international pickup um so there's a couple different things. Most of the axle manufacturers, um, at least in the scouts and light trucks were usually Dana Spicer, uh, or international had their own corporate rear end in the trucks and travel alls in the, um, early days. So, uh, we'll start with the scout stuff cause they were the smallest, uh, early scouts, 61, to 65 you would have had dana 27s uh front and rear dana 27s they are tiny they have little tiny spider gears um little tiny ring and pinions and you know at the time they were good enough for 80 horsepower as long as you weren't abusive um so you know the the manuals and the repair books you know, they a lot of times call them by the international number, which would be like an, uh, you know, like an FA 17 or an FA 9 for front axle. And then same with the rear, you know, the rear axle. I, 
I don't remember the RA numbers on all of them, so I'm not going to get into it because uh, so, I don't want to confuse you anymore. But um, yeah, the International had their own numbering system, but the, the axles were Dana 27s. Um, they shared a lot of similar parts with the early Jeeps of the era. But, uh, but yeah, so the front axle, you know, the, the standard setup was open differential, meaning it had spider gears and no traction aid whatsoever. So, if, you know, one tire started spinning, then it just, that's the one that spun. Um, you could order them with power locks, which was a limited slip differential. Uh, still had spider gears in it, but they were like a ramp system that as the one wheel spun, it would force the cross shaft into some clutches and then that would grab the other side and then, you know, you could, you would have traction. Uh, one of the tricks the old timers used to do is when you rebuilt your power lock, you added an extra clutch to make it tighter. Um, and I did that back in the day to a couple of my early eighties and, uh, it definitely made a noticeable difference. Um, you know, as far as getting stuck, but, uh, you could special order your scout with a front power lock. I've only seen that a few times. And I think the reason why they really cautioned against that was that the steering got really hard because when your differentials are locked together, you're, it just wants to go in a straight line. So, um, I try to encourage people to not do any kind of traction aid in the front end unless you have power steering, uh, updated steering parts, and you really know what you're getting into because it's not, it can be aggressive sometimes. So, um, yeah. So Dana 27s were the early, early setups. Then, um, there were so many failures, I believe, in those rear axles the short side axle shaft is notorious for breaking on the rear ends of the early scouts so the dana 44 came out for a rear end option and i'm sure that dana 44 is pretty synonymous with scouts like it's just a common axle the the early 44 rears were coarse spline um usually 19 spline and um you know, tapered shaft. So they were a two piece axle where the shaft was just a javelin. And then the hub was, you know, had the same taper on it. And then there was a giant nut on the end that held it on. Um, again, a lot of this stuff was done for the sake of maintenance in the old days. Um, and I think manufacturing too, I, I believe it was easier to manufacture the axle shaft and hub as a separate unit than it was to do the later two piece, or sorry, the single piece forged shaft um, that we've all come to know and love. Um, the other thing about the Dana 44 is that you had more available ratios. The, the Dana 27s didn't have much. You had 488s, I think you could get 513s, but 488s, 427s, and if you were really, really lucky, you could stumble into a 373 but that is almost never, I, I think I've only seen one in my whole life and I sold it when I got it. <laughs> Cause that's what we do here. 
Um, yeah, so you got the Dana 27s, and then the 44 was an option. In the 800s, they updated uh, when the V8s were an option. Then they changed the front end to a Dana 30, which is kind of a misnomer because it still used Dana 27 outers, brakes, hubs, wheel ends, axle shafts. It's all the same as the Dana 27 fronts. Uh, it just had the Dana 30 ring and pinion, which was ever so slightly larger than the 27. Negligibly larger, but it, it is larger. Um, and it uses um, different ring gear bolts also. But anyway, um, so there was that update. And then, uh, you know, that got you through the 800s. And then you get into the Scout 2s. So by 70, 70 in the 800s, they had switched to the one-piece axle shaft with the set 10 bearing um, to get away from that two-piece taper shaft. Because um, it the taper shaft rear ends require some finesse when setting them up because there's a shim stack that gets the proper end play to the bearings. So a lot of people don't know how to set those up and they would just end up ruining bearings. So in 70, you saw the one piece axle with the set 10 bearing that you press on and it's then you don't have to worry about it. Um, so, so when the Scout 2s came out, uh, they still had Dana 30 fronts, uh, but they had switched to 30 spline axles um, and bigger brakes and you know it's a whole different configuration compared to the early scout ones dana 44 rear will be the standard all the way through till 1980 on the scout twos um, but the front will go through some variations 72 they made them a little heavier duty a little bit bigger brakes in 72 and into three end of 73 you started to see the disc brake uh, coming out and so 73 and 74 were weird years big crossover years because you could get a Dana 30 with drum brakes a Dana 30 with disc brakes you could get a Dana 44 front with drum brakes or a Dana 44 with disc brakes depending on option package and what time of the year it was I've seen them all had them all come through here they are some oddities, um, so it's, it's just weird. Of course, the Dana 44 with disc brakes is the one that everybody wants. That's the best um, that was available for those models. The Scout 2 Dana 44 fronts are definitely not the best axle. They have the thinnest tubes, the weirdest brakes, the funniest knuckles. Um, so anytime I see Jeep guys trying to source Scout 2 axles, I'm always like, I would not do that and try to send them towards Wagoneer or something um, something else. But yeah, uh, so then the Dana 44 was carried in the front end all the way from 74 to 1980. Uh, the only difference in 1980 being they finally figured out their caster problem. So 1980 Scout 2 front axles have two and a half degrees of caster from the factory. So if you can find a 1980 front axle, you won't have to do a cut and turn if you're swapping it into your older Scout 2. Um, so now that we've covered the Scouts, we will go back in time again to the olden days. Uh, the 50s trucks, 
they were running, you know, there weren't any four wheel drive fifties trucks until 54, 53, but those were heavy, heavy trucks, one forties and up. And, and I'm not as knowledgeable about those. I'm not going to get into that. So just the light duty stuff. You didn't see a four wheel drive, uh, light truck, three quarter ton until 56. Um, so in the early fifties trucks, you had the international rear axle, the um, RA-10, RA-11. Um, the difference is the RA-10 is an open carrier. The RA-11 would be power lock carrier. And I think there's like an RA-13, uh, maybe, that had a Detroit locker. Uh, I'll have to check the book on that. but. The um, Troy lockers are aggressive, <clears throat> aggressive traction aids, and should only be used in situations where you are willing to um, suffer any comfort because they will lock and unlock and they are aggressive on the street. You know, you go through tires a lot quicker. Um, but man, off road, they work. So, um, but, anyways. Yeah, the early trucks, you know, they just had the I-beam front ends, which were like the FA-1 um, that you can, you know, they were pretty much the standard half-ton front was the FA-1. Not sure what the three-quarter ton version of the FA was, but it's still an I-beam spindle setup. Uh, so they carried that RA uh, in the three-quarter tons all the way up until like 66, 65, you start to see the RAs going away and the Dana 60 coming in, which is another international oddity because they used the Dana 60 center section with the RA spindles and brake setup. So, you know, the brakes were the same across the the makes of axle, but the center section was different and the axle shafts are different. Um, so just kind of a bizarre uh, mishmash. I don't know if they were trying to use up stock they had in the brake the wheel end stuff or what. But anyway, um, the best, if you want to keep your C-Series truck looking original, but update it uh finding one of those 66 to 68 dana 60 rears um is a good update uh, i believe it to be stronger than the ra 10 and uh, a little bit easier to rebuild and whatnot but uh well i shouldn't say that it's probably harder to rebuild to the average Joe, but I've just gotten used to Dana Spicer axles, so I kind of know my way around them a little bit more. Um, but anyway, um, wasn't until uh, 56 when the four-wheel drive three-quarter tons came out that then you saw the Dana 44 front axle. Uh, again, this was a coarse spline, closed knuckle, limited steering, and, you know, the closed knuckle setups on those things had like 19 degrees of steering. So they did not turn very sharp, which may be by design to help um, the axle shaft survive. Because when you're in four-wheel drive and you turn the steering wheel sharp, 
the U-joints can really get into a bind and that's what breaks U-joints and ears off axle shafts. So if you limit how sharp you can turn, then you can keep the axle shafts and U-joints alive a lot longer. Um, so I'm not sure if that was by design or, or what, but um, you know, they just, that's what they did. Um, I think it's interesting also that the Dana 27 early scout stuff shares the same knuckle seals, the same trunnion bearings uh, that the 44s did in the three quarter ton trucks. So it's just a weird, I mean, there were little differences like in the steering arms and stuff, but, uh, and then how they retained the um, bushings in the upper, the trunnion bushing in the upper position. Some of them had a keyway, some of them were splined, some of them were smooth, like it, it, it's hard to say what system they went with, but the general overall design was the same from the 27s, the 30s, and into the 44s. Uh, it wasn't until the real heavy-duty 44, like the 4,500-pound weight capacity trucks and travel alls, did you see the big knuckle 44, which that knuckle is like the size of a bowling ball. Um, but the funny thing is, is that the axle shafts are still the same size as the small 44s. So the weight capacity doesn't come from any heavy-duty parts. It comes just from the larger knuckle and probably tube thickness of the housing. Um, but as far as actual wear parts, no, they're still the same as the 44s. Um, the differences in shaft size you only see in the Scout 2s. The Scout 2s have the 30 spline inner with the little, you know, inch and a, I think it's inch or just over an inch, uh, 27 spline stub shafts which break all the time. Uh, whereas the full-size stuff had the 19 spline, uh, inch and eighth stubs. Um, or if you get into the old stuff, they had the 10 spline, uh, inch and eighth. Uh, so, but yeah, so yeah, the Dana 44. Um, I've seen guys mislabel stuff before and claim that their truck has a Dana 60 front end. Um, which International never put a 60 front end in any of their trucks or travel alls. I have a, a Spicer sales book from 1975 that lists an International truck with a Kingpin 60 front end. But I believe that they printed the literature before International went out of business. Or, I'm sorry, before they... Um, decided to not produce a truck or travel all for 76. So uh, I think it's funny that Spicer has a catalog full of part numbers that never existed. They never even made the axle as far as I know. Um, maybe it's some prototype at Fort Wayne or some or Springfield. There might have been a, a 60 put in something. But as far as out in the wild, never seen one, never heard of one. Um, they were all Dana 44 fronts. Um, or if you had a uh, 1300 or 500 or heavy duty 200, um, you would have a Dana 70 front axle, which is a massive update from the 44. 
like the the 70 fronts had huge gears everything was gigantic on them the tubes were half inch wall they the giant closed knuckles the brakes like the front ends alone on these trucks i mean that 70 front weighs probably 400 pounds on its own like just ridiculously heavy um you know it had big brakes uh, but it was meant to carry a ton of weight i've had a couple come through here and i've seen a couple of local guys that had the the one ton setups and they uh yeah i'm just it's a super impressive um but they're so heavy it's just getting that much weight moving down the road is is crazy i had a 75 200 that had a service bed on it I had a 70 rear uh and a 70 front uh i can't remember what gears it had want to say i, I want to say it was a 488 truck uh but it had the overdrive five speed, which then made the gearing like 430s or something. Yeah, almost 410. Um, so it was meant for pulling for sure. But yeah, just impressive how heavy the axles were on this one ton international um, versus what was available in the in the heavy Fords or Chevys. It was it's laughable what they were considering heavy duty. Uh, compared to what international had as heavy duty uh, and you see like the big hub chevys or big hub fords they still use the same size axle shafts they still use the same size carrier uh it's just the wheel bearings are bigger i'm not even sure the brakes are any bigger but yeah these larger wheel bearings in the big hub stuff but anyway i digress um so yeah so you know, international moved up. And the other thing was that in the one tons, if we back up to the fifties and sixties, if you wanted a one ton, um, you know, 130 or 140, you had the RA 15 was the only option because they hadn't invented the Dana 70 yet. So the, uh, the RA 15, which again is also a massive axle, uh, just you know huge the problem with the ra15 is that the lowest gear i'm sorry the tallest gear the fastest gear that you could get in an ra15 is a 430 so that um that limits you on the highway speed so that's why you see a fair amount of the one tons at least i've seen have had five speed transmissions uh, or they you know you just live with it because the top speed is 52 55 maybe with the uh, 430s and the stock size tires um, but the ra15 is like i said it's huge big brakes big axle shafts um, almost all the ra15s i've seen have had a power lock in them like they don't even mess around with open diff. They just go right to power lock. And I have one here in the yard now that has a Detroit in it. Um, but that's still in a truck and I don't plan on taking it out of the truck. I think that axle is going to live with, with the truck. So yeah. Um, so that's kind of the basics of what was available in the various models. And there was uh, updates to the brakes 
um, as the years go on, like obviously they just got larger, shoes got wider. You know, you went in the early scouts, you went from nine inch brakes to 10 inch brakes to 11 inch brakes in the 800s, you know, and then they got wider, um, 11 by inch and three quarter to 11 by two. And then you get into the scout twos where you've got, you know, the 11 by two and a quarters with the disc brakes. Um, same with the trucks and travel alls. For years, the the early trucks, the brakes were 11 by inch and three quarter or 12 by inch and three quarter. And then somewhere in the mid 60s, then you saw the 12 by twos uh, for the rears. The fronts were still inch and three quarter, which I thought was, it's funny how the rear brakes always seem to go bigger than the fronts, even though the fronts do 70% of the work. And then uh, it wasn't until 69 when the D, D series came out that you started seeing the big, bigger shoes, 12 by twos, 12 by two and a halves. And then in the half tons, they did that weird Lockheed front brake with the 11 by threes, which are an obsolete shoe you can't get anymore. And uh, you had to have to have sent out to be relined. Um, just kind of a bizarre, weird setup. We try and do disc brake conversions on those trucks just because it's, um, it's, you know, just better brakes and then it's easier to deal with in the future. But yeah, International, they, you know, they change stuff along the way when, you know, a new hub design would come out or brake stuff would improve. But the overall core of the axle, the ring and pinion shafts, the carrier, like that all stayed the same. Um, you know, in 73, they upsized the U-joints. They went from the small Dana 44 U-joint to the larger 760X that everyone runs now. Um, so, yeah, just updates and improvements as the years went along, but nothing like earth-shattering as far as updates go. They're definitely the improvements at the model brakes, you know, where you went from the six lug, big six lug pattern in the 60s to in 69, where you saw the eight lug standard uh, eight lug pattern come out, which is nice. Uh, you know, we end up swapping a lot of eight lug D series axles into the C series trucks just to get away from that six lug pattern uh, and those smaller brakes. Um, you put bigger brakes on a C series, becomes more enjoyable to drive um for sure uh and then same with the scout tooth scout early scouts and scout twos were always five on five and a half uh in the four-wheel drives there was some weird four lug um two-wheel drive early scouts but uh five on five and a half was the the wheel pattern for the scout twos in four-wheel drive the early trucks you had the five on four and a half for the light duty half tons. And then that big six pattern was the standard from, geez, the late forties all the way until the sixties, um, 68 on the three quarter tons and one tons. You saw that big six with the left-handed lug nuts on the driver's side. You gotta pay attention to that. Uh, even on the early scouts, you had left-handed lug nuts on the driver's side. If you're working on an original example, 
Um, so you have to watch out for that. Yeah, just, uh, you know, they just changes. They went from bronze bushings to roller bearings and the spindle ends and the late 60s and early, early 70s. It's just little variations along the way that show the improvements and the, and the age of what you're working on. I've had guys call me and they're like, oh, it's got this and it's got that. And I'm like, well, that axle would be from an early 60s. And they're like, oh, no, it's all original. And I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't know. Um, but there is the, on some applications, if you can find it, there is a number stamped, not cast into the webbing, but stamped into the tube. If you wire brush carefully, you'll see a stamping in the tube near the center section that is the Dana Spicer BOM, Bill of Materials. And a lot of times you can go on the Dana Spicer knowledge base and enter your BOM and it will tell you what your axle is and what it's had for axle shafts and the width and all that stuff. Um, not all the time, but on, on the fair amount of ones that we've looked up, you've been able to get the BOM and, and see what's what. Um, so anyway, um, hopefully you retain some of that. I just kind of vomited a whole bunch of information out here. Uh, and I'm sure I missed stuff, but anyway, that's the basic overview of, uh, the axles that you would have seen in the light duty models across the years. If you've got any other questions, um, you can always message me social media and, uh, we'll get, get at you. But, uh, if you enjoyed this, feel free to donate on Patreon. Um, you can also subscribe to us on uh, Instagram. You know, it's like a $3 a month monthly subscription. It's very affordable and it all helps. Any amount of money that you can send this way, it helps. Not just me, but Brad, my producer, he gets paid to do the editing and putting this stuff out. So, you know, uh, you're not just helping me, you're helping out other members of our community. But anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, I'm Dan from Binder Boneyard. Yard.